this is pretty cool. Man, I didn't realize it's been a few years since we've done something like this here. And I think before there were still a few trees standing on the edge so you didn't get quite the panorama. Uh, but man, this is awesome. Um, every week, yeah, we, uh, well, I won't say that. <laughs> Ask me later what I was thinking. Um, so guys, uh, just to make sure that you know, if you're new here or visiting, or even if you're not and just want to say hello, the QR code on the inside of the bulletin takes you to that digital welcome card. There's even a place on that just to share prayer requests with me and Brian to know how to be praying for you guys. So we just want to make sure you know about that. Or if you're ever uh, sitting next to somebody who's brand new at church, that you can point them in that direction. For now, though, let's go ahead and jump into the scripture reading for today. We're back in Romans 14. We're going to look at some verses that we technically covered last week, but we're kind of circling back around. So if you would stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. This is Romans 14. Verses 13 through 15, the Bible says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never, rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts as we sit in this beautiful sanctuary today would be pleasing in your sight. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys go ahead and be seated. Can, can everybody hear me okay? Is, the, uh, is this guy doing its job? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so guys, this is uh, part two of a sermon I started last week. I called it uh, the tricky parts because of some of the applications we're going to get to. Um, but really, I should have called it damage control. Because last week's sermon, it might have caused more confusion than it did clarity. Uh, it's the first sermon in a while that I've done that I got people from all different angles asking me about things or confused on things. So, I mean, the first one is uh, I told a, a, I gave an example um, that caused a great misunderstanding about Brian. Um, we'll get to that in a second. And then uh, there was a point that I made that a lot of people were like, what? Are you sure? And they wanted me to elaborate a little bit more. So we'll get to that. There were even a few folks that were a bit frustrated with me that I didn't use time in last week's sermon to talk about the modern day sort of examples of this, which we'll get to. And then to top it off, my mom listened to the sermon online last week. <laughs> and she said, yeah, it was good, but that peanut butter example went on for way too long. <laughs> so when it rains, it pours. <laughs> And I mean, I knew, I told y'all last week that I wanted to do a part two. Little did I know how important it would be to do some damage control. Now, if you're new or you've missed the last couple of weeks of the preaching, I am so sorry. Like, you are going to be like, what are we talking about? Because I'm going to have to go back a lot to what I said to try to fix some things. Uh, and I, normally I would want to give like a huge recap to bring everybody up to speed. But I just don't have the time to do that today. Forgive me. 
if you're new and this feels very much like I just got thrown into the deep end and I don't know what's happening. But I'm going to try to find some places here and there to maybe do a little recap. So hopefully we're all on the same page. But let, let's start with the damage control, okay? First is the story about Pastor Brian. So I ended the sermon last week with this totally hypothetical, totally pretend example about Pastor Brian having this conscience issue about eating unclean food from the Old Testament. And uh, I did not make the hypothetical part pretty clear or very clear. And... Um, didn't realize that until after Vespers, Brian came up to me and was like, yo, uh, a lot of people are coming and asking me if I really don't eat shellfish because I think it's morally wrong. <laughs> and at first we were both like, oh, that's got to be an outlier. But then we asked more people and it was like a mix of folks that were like, oh, it was totally clear that was hypothetical. And other people that were like, yeah, I wasn't so sure. Uh, so that's my bad. I listened back to the recording and I was like, I definitely didn't make that clear. <laughs> So just to clarify, Brian does eat shellfish. I've seen him. He loves it. And more importantly, Brian uh, lives in the freedom of the gospel, which is why we were talking about that in the first place. And, um, and I'm uh, not so good at... Sorry, Nancy. I need to down here. <laughs> uh, can you just hang on to it for me? I don't need it. Um, but here's why I was burdened the most about this and was like, I definitely need to say something in the sermon. It's because if you thought that that was a real example, then it meant that you watched me just publicly put Brian on blast from the pulpit and ridicule him. And, you know, probably that was jarring to you if you're like, why is Josh being such a jerk in the pulpit? Um, which I, I hope I would never, ever, ever do that by God's grace. And so just wanted to clarify that that was pretend and that I would, uh, by God's grace, never to my brother and friend and co-laborer in the gospel bring up something so publicly if we really did have a disagreement on that. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing has to do with one of the verses that we talked about last week. In fact, in that little snippet that I read just a second ago, it's in there. It's verse 14 when Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Now, we talked about this a bit last week and, and how, what it meant, you know, the unclean and clean is food. He's talking about things that are permissible to eat and things that are impermissible. And just kind of a recap for those of y'all that might not have heard it. This is the issue that the Roman church is fighting about. There are some brothers and sisters in the faith that Paul says have a more weak conscience when it comes to these matters of some things that are permissible to eat as a believer and some things that aren't allowed as a believer. And then there are other brothers and sisters that have, quote unquote, a stronger conscience. They realize that in the gospel, Jesus has freed them to have liberty to either eat these things or abstain from it. It's up to them. All those Old Testament dietary restrictions were a pointer to Christ. And now that he's here, we have freedom to do those things or not do those things. But in the course of talking about that, this verse 14 says that even though we know, Paul says, from the teaching of Christ, I know that all things are permissible and clean. Yet, if somebody with a weaker conscience were to be convinced that it was not right to eat, they should follow their conscience. Because if they break that, 
they would be willfully disobeying what their heart is telling them is right. And that is a problem. That's disobedience. And so the person with the weak conscience should pay attention to what it says because to do otherwise would be to willfully disobey what they sincerely believe is right. There's even a verse that we didn't read at the beginning today, but it's at the very end of the text that we read last week that kind of hammers this home. It's verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. And then almost to add and say, hey, by the way, I want to make sure you know this isn't just talking about food. Paul says something that makes it even broader. He says, for whoever does not, or excuse me, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What you believe about this thing matters. So what's the problem that people had, the issue? Well, I think they rightfully pointed out that the sort of natural extension of this principle could lead us to some very scary places. If my conscience is a contributing factor in what makes something wrong for me, then wouldn't it also be true that my conscience is a contributing factor of what makes something right? And then all of a sudden we go down a very scary road. The serial killer who says, hey, my conscience is clear when it comes to killing people. (laughs) So uh, that's right, huh? Or maybe a more kind of uh, common example, sadly, the man that leaves his wife because he's in love with somebody else and says, my conscience is clear. I'm convinced that I should be happy. God wants me to happy, be happy, and this is where I'm led to. So does that make it right for him? The serial killer, the adulterer, because their conscience is telling them yes, does that make it right? Of course not. The book of Romans never even gets close to suggesting that. There's not a hint throughout the entire book of some sort of relativism that would make something evil right just because my conscience says it's okay. So what's the explanation then about the the difference? We read in this chapter how conscience, uh, you know, should be listened to when it comes to what not to do. But here we're talking about how It doesn't give us a carte blanche to do whatever we feel like. What I think is going on is that there there is a different significance to the weight of your conscience when it comes to situations where there is a prohibition versus situations where there's a permission. When your conscience is prohibiting you from doing something, that is eating certain foods, drinking wine, or, you know, old school fundamentalists, you know, can't play cards. I can't dance. That's wrong. If your conscience is prohibiting you from doing that, you better pay attention to it. Because if you go against your conscience, that means you are willfully disobeying what you are convinced is right. And it's that heart of disobedience that makes it so heavy. However, if your conscience is giving you permission to do something, that is, it's giving you the green light, and that could be... Uh, Well, the examples we used before, killing somebody, adultery, or let's make it a little bit more PG, playing cards. You better be able to back that up with what God has said in his word, his gospel, the Ten Commandments, and the teaching that comes out of that. Because when it comes to matters of permission, our conscience is not the only thing we have. The foundation of what shapes it 
is what God has spoken in the Bible. And so conscience isn't the final arbiter in matters of permission, like maybe we could say it is with prohibition. And we can't go against what we know is right in the word. Now, hey, there she is. No. <laughs> hey, there's two left, so. No, I had four. <laughs> That's the bell ringing. Let's hope not. I still got a lot more to say. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. The, uh, at the Lutheran church. Oh, that went over my head. <laughs> so, that's good. I know this isn't a perfect example, and if more analytically minded folks might be poking holes in that permission versus prohibition. Uh, distinction that I made. I know I've seen ways in which it's not perfect. And yet, generally speaking, that might be what's going on. And it might be why we're able to preach and read this section of scripture boldly and not be afraid it will just devolve into relativism. Because there's that distinction between the permission and the prohibition. So, those are two things out of the way that I had to fix from last week. Let's, let's hit one more. Um, I'm going to leave my mom's critique about my example out. The final critique was just about, hey, we didn't really apply these principles to that nitty gritty, the, the modern day examples that can be really hard for us. I mean, we talked about, remember the big thing that we pulled out of this text is how we are people in the kingdom of God who the love of Christ is more foundational to who we are than our freedom and liberty is. Do you remember that? We said love over liberty. And that our liberty, as precious as it is, it's purchased for us in Jesus Christ. It's not the end all be all. It's meant to serve love, not the other way around. And because of that, there's going to be some times where we are called to limit our freedom, to curb our liberty for the sake of loving our brother and sister in Christ. This is a few of the verses that we read today. Verse 15 makes it the most clear. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So we sort of unpacked this by looking at that first century debate that people had over food in the church in Rome. And we kind of saw how that might apply. That's when I got in trouble with my Pastor Brian example, you know, yada, yada, yada. But it's easy to apply this to a first century debate that is far away from us and that probably we don't care about at a passionate level. What's way harder is to begin bringing it to bear on the things that we fight about and disagree over, and might have to say, is it worth limiting my liberty for the sake of love? What are some of the things that the church in 2023 has disagreements on that kind of fit this paradigm? How about alcohol? There's some believers, brother, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who are convinced that drinking alcohol in any capacity is wrong and impermissible. There's other brothers and sisters in Christ that when it comes to music are convinced that you should listen only to Christian music and sometimes only a certain type of Christian music. All other things are wrong and polluting to a believer's soul. There's some believers 
that would be scandalized by me reading and preaching out of this version of the Bible. They think that King James Version is the only authentic word of God and anything else is an abomination. And if you're chuckling at any of this, it's just because I haven't named your hang-up yet. I haven't gotten to yours yet. And some of you guys aren't chuckling, and it's because I, one of the things that I said right here, you're saying, why would a pastor ever suggest that that's permissible or up for debate? Let, let, let me flip it now. I'm going to get into some more dangerous territory. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but... In recent days, with changes of legislation, laws about marijuana are way more lax in California than they ever have been. There's some Christians that have a clear conscience and feel like it is a matter of freedom for them to smoke if they can do so responsibly. And others that say, no way. There's some Christians that feel an obligation to engage the culture, art, film, literature, and that has them exposed to things that otherwise would be kind of salacious. And yet they say there's a freedom to do that. Now, you might think I'm crazy. uh, Josh, you have what, like five, ten minutes left of the sermon. You're going to go through all of those different examples? and No, I'm not going to go through any of them when it comes to the nitty gritty because that's not my point. My point is not to get in depth on issues about alcohol or marijuana or how you entertain yourselves or even the King James Version of the Bible. My point in bringing all that up is to make you aware that there will be a day when you are in fellowship with a dear brother and sister in Christ that doesn't agree with you on these matters. In fact, you're already in that situation. Let me just tell you, I get the privilege of talking to many other folks. I know for certain there are brothers and sisters in Christ you have that don't see eye to eye with you about certain matters of conscience. So my point in bringing all that up is to make you aware That there are differences. Sometimes we just assume we're all in lockstep on these things. We aren't. But then the bigger point is to say, when you encounter the brother and sister, brother or sister, I should say, that views these things differently, especially if it's something that they have a hang up about and you don't, what are you going to do? What will you choose? Will you choose in that moment to... Flaunt your liberty. Freedom! Jesus has freed me to do this. I don't have a heavy conscience about it. You shouldn't either. So you know what? We're going to do it. Are you going to choose to invite the person over that you know has hangups about alcohol and then serve wine at your dinner party? Maybe even pour a glass for them? Come on, it's no big deal. Are you going to choose to have the person in your car that you know only listens to Christian music and you just crank up the new Beyonce album? Huh? Are you going to force somebody with a heavy conscience on these matters to get to that place of freedom before they're ready to arrive there? All for the sake of showing them the right way. That's precisely what this text is warning against. And it's telling us repeatedly in many different ways that when you prize your liberty over love for your brother or sister, you can do great harm to them. And you can really harm the unity of the church. 
Now, I mentioned it a little bit last week. I'm going to say it again. I think sometimes our mind immediately goes to the extremes. And we say, like, Josh, or what you're saying is that I can never listen to Beyonce again because somebody with a heavy conscience on that might hear a, a, a faint hint of that music and be scandalized by it. No. Remember, we were talking about how the whole context of this is personal. These are people in relationship together that are eating and drinking together, that are in one another's homes. Like, I, I, I don't want to pretend that what Paul is teaching is that some stranger that you don't know might hear Beyonce as your car is going down the road and be scandalized by it. That's not what he has an aim here. Also, here's the other factor. We're all going to be able to think of exceptions to this that we say, oh, but what about this situation? And we'll go to the margins, and sometimes that will invalidate the whole application. Because we'll be like, oh yeah, that, that weird sort of minor exception makes it, well, I don't need to care about love over liberty. The, the reality is that the vast majority of times that God will put something like this in your life, where there's a disagreement between believers and you're asked to choose love over liberty, it'll be very straightforward. <laughs> and it will just be a very simple question to you. What do I care about more, my freedom or caring for my brother or sister's soul? In fact, I think that we had a very straightforward uh, opportunity for this just a few years ago. It was a it was a conversation that was very complicated and very nuanced and very difficult. But when you got down to the brass tacks, it was a very straightforward thing. And what I'm talking about is how we treated one another during covid and in particularly, excuse me, in particular, what we thought about and what we did with the whole wearing mask or not wearing mask. Now, like I said, there was a lot of conversation around this and a lot of nuance. And yet, when it came down to that bottom line, I really think that at heart, the question that was being posed to people was, what do I value more, my freedom to do what I want or my care and love for my brother or sister who views this differently than I do. Now, by the end of 2021, wearing a mask had taken on a life of its own. And I should not just say wearing a mask, but not wearing a mask too. It had far gone beyond just a matter of like safety and healthcare or whatnot. It, it, it said something about the person, or at least that we thought it did. So you'd see somebody not wearing a mask in public or see somebody wearing a mask in public and all of a sudden you'd make all these assumptions about what they believed politically, <laughs> what their priorities were, what they cared about, what they were afraid of. It was wild how much of a life of its own it took on. For Christians, by the end of it all, there were Christians that were saying that there was great theological significance to the mask. There were psychologists saying that there were great ramifications for relational trust in wearing the mask. There were healthcare professionals sometimes that would say masking had like eradicated diseases. It was huge. And what happened is we all took our sides, we drew our line in the sand, and then we made assumptions about the people on the other side. Now, my goal right now is not to tell you which side I think was the stronger brother and which side was the weaker brother. I ain't going, I ain't touching that with a 30-foot pole. And do you know why? Because no one ever thinks they're the weaker brother. Nobody. 
Do, I would go so far as to say in the history of preaching on this part of Romans, there has never been a congregant hearing it and be like, oh, I think I'm the one with the weaker conscience here. <laughs> no. Everybody thinks they're the stronger brother. Everybody thinks other people are the weaker. We are all convinced that we have drawn the lines precisely where we need that they need to be. And the things that we're convicted on are the things that God's convicted on. And the things that we have freedom with are the things he has freedom So for me to try to prove the point of which side was the weaker, which side was the stronger, y'all wouldn't believe me anyways. It's fruitless. So what's my point in bringing all this up? It's to say this. What I noticed as a pastor and just as a believer myself that struggled with it is that as time went on, when we discussed this matter, there were a lot of things that we talked about. But as time went on, the one thing that became more and more absent from the conversation was this. Love over liberty. And the consideration of, could it be that what God is calling me to is to limit my freedom for the sake of loving a brother or sister that doesn't see this the same. What we didn't talk about by the end was the time in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul said, Brothers and sisters, your freedom is beautiful and important and good. Defend it, protect it, but never let it be the thing you prioritize over love. That's what we forgot. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm looking at myself first. I stopped talking about it too. And I know I'm going to get pushback on this. I, I can already see my, my email inbox filling up. You know what? And you could say, Josh, you're, there were other factors that you need to put in. Or, or Josh, you're just naive to it all that, of what was truly going on with it. And you're probably right. I'm the same doofus that told a story about Brian last week and didn't make, make it known it was hypothetical. So you're probably right that I'm missing things about this or I'm naive. But here's the, here's the last thing I'm going to say. Promise me this. Before you... you, you You talk to me or send me your email and get into your talking points and your convictions on this matter. Just ask yourself this question. Is my position on this motivated more by my freedom or is it motivated more by my love and care for my fellow church members, my brothers and sisters in Christ? I don't know what you'll answer to that question, but that's all I can ask you and that's all I can ask my own heart is to ask that first. Before we get to our talking points, before we get to our position papers, start with that question. Let's pray. Father, let us be people that the love of Christ dwells in so richly that it pushes us to places where we prize love over freedom. That's not to denigrate the freedom that you've purchased for us. It is a beautiful, blood-bought gift of Jesus that you've given, that we are free, that we have liberty. But let us use that to serve the cause of love. Because, Jesus, we know better than anybody that you gave all your freedom to show us love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.